When you meet someone, do you wonder about their story? If you're like me, you're always interested in the lives, hopes, and dreams of people. Stories Connect People podcast will bring you interesting, inspiring, and compelling stories from people just like you and me. Stories that will inspire you. They'll make you laugh. You'll learn. They might even make you cry. But above all, you will feel connected and closer to the people around you. You may see yourself in these stories. You may feel connected because you share similarities in your own journey. There are rich, interesting stories closer than you think, maybe even yours. Thank you for listening to Stories Connect People. I am Polly Van Duzer, your host. My guest today on Stories Connect People podcast is Sharon Chappelle. You will immediately fall in love with Sharon, just like I did. Sharon is so beautiful and you will hear it in her voice instantly. Sharon grew up with her father battling cancer. They never talked about it in her family. Three days after she was diagnosed with breast cancer, her father passed away. Sharon shares her story of struggling with anxiety starting as a young girl. She often felt overwhelmed, like she had to perform perfectly, like she was never enough. You will be surprised to hear what changed all of that for Sharon, her diagnosis of cancer. Suddenly, she felt the need to fight, to survive, and she realized she was good enough. She wanted her cancer to mean more than just being sick. Sharon found her purpose. She turned her breast cancer diagnosis into something beautiful, meaningful, and impactful. Sharon, who has a doctorate in education, spent much of her life as an arts educator. She took her love for teaching, her love for the arts, and started Wellbeing Studio. Wellbeing Studio focuses on supporting families and children going through cancer by using the arts. She is helping them communicate, providing tools, resources, activities, and support to get them through what is probably the most difficult times in their lives. Sharon found a way to get joy from her cancer and is spending her life making a difference in the lives of hundreds of families and children. Welcome Sharon to Stories Connect People podcast. Hi, Sharon. How are you today? Welcome to Stories Connect People podcast. Oh, hi. Thank you so much for having me, Polly. I'm, I'm doing great, and I'm really excited to talk about my story. Yes. Well, I am so glad to connect with you. And um, you had reached out to me because you had heard about the podcast. And I just immediately fell in love with you. I mean, just, you know, not only your story, but you have um, such a bright spirit. And um, I love the work that you're doing. And so you are a cancer survivor. And and I will um, uh, uh, give you some time to share your story. But what really moved me about you when we connected was just how courageous you are and how you took your um, diagnosis and, and working through your own healing and you wanted to turn that into something bigger for others. And that spoke so much to me. My dad is a 20-year cancer survivor. Um, cancer has affected every single person in this world, whether it be someone you know, someone, a close friend, a family member, your spouse, 
children, someone you work with. I don't think that there's anyone in in the world that can say that they haven't been impacted by um, or haven't experienced someone that has um, been diagnosed with cancer. And so I just loved your desire to make this uh, to turn this into something great for others. And so, uh, Sharon, um, welcome to the podcast. And mm-hmm. I am so excited about you sharing your story and the work that you're doing. Thank you so much, Polly. I um, I really appreciate the time that you've taken to listen to my story. And I have found that um, in all the work that I've done as a teacher, um, one of the important and powerful times for me is when I got to hear my students' stories and um, connect with them and their families. And so for you to be doing that, reaching out to others and sharing their stories is really a source of inspiration and helps us see how we're connected in the world and um, how our, our diversity is such a strength and how we find so much commonality through our diverse experiences. So I really appreciate that. Why don't you start by sharing um, a little bit about your background, maybe your younger years and what that looked like and um, kind of what got you to um, to the point maybe where you were diagnosed? Sure. Yeah. So, well, um, I'll start forward and then go backward. I'm um, currently the executive and artistic director of Wellbeing Studio, and we focus on um, supporting emotional well-being and open communication with families impacted by cancer using the arts and literature. Um, I came to that process or that to founding this organization through my own breast cancer diagnosis, Mm -hmm. Um, but I didn't really realize how much my cancer diagnosis would lead me to want to help others until I started reflecting on how much cancer had affected me throughout my life. And um, that was the result of um, being a child of a parent with cancer since I was about seven. My dad had his first cancer, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, near his heart. Um, the I, I remember both uh, silences and stigmas around his cancer Um, in my house and just in society in general. I think when it's happening, it was around 1980. um, You know, the, the treatments for cancer were, were better than they had been before that, you know, like in the fifties, but there was still a lot of uncertainty around people would survive um, cancer or not. And um, you know, breast cancer could be a, a death sentence just from knowing, learning that you, you have it. Um, so there was a lot of fear around um, having cancer, understandably. And I think a lot of um, worry that people would, uh, would judge you. And in particular, my dad worked during his cancer. I, I don't know a lot about why that was. Um, but he Uh, he was diagnosed when I was seven and he went through the full gamut surgery, radiation, chemo. Um, I remember, you know, seeing the purple marker lines on his chest. I remember hearing him um, sick in the bathroom from the chemotherapy that the anti-nausea medicines are fantastic now, but at the time weren't so good. So he was quite sick. Um, And then he just kind of went about his day and he didn't, he didn't talk about it at all. He wanted to be strong. And for him, strong meant um, handling it with um, without showing vulnerability. And so 
I was afraid, you know, I remember being in my room and, and hearing the sounds of him being sick or, or like the marker, the image of the marker on his chest. Um, but really not knowing what to say or what those feelings meant or what I was afraid of. And, um, and I think, so that was kind of the silence piece. And then the stigma piece was about being in public with someone who, with your, your father, who's sick with cancer. And so, um, you know, his hair fell out and he clearly looked ill from the treatment. And one time we were in a convenience store and the, some kids, you know, pointed at him and kind of s- snickered and laughed. And I remember instead of feeling like defensive and angry that they would be looking at my dad that way, I felt ashamed of my dad. And um, it was a really, looking back, a really difficult thing to admit that um, I was more concerned about what other people thought than about how my dad was feeling when it was happening to him. And so I really was affected by the stigma um, of well, when you combine silence with ignorance, you get stigma, right? So, um, so I was really affected by that, but I really didn't understand what it meant. And so throughout my life, I've been, you know, very avid exerciser, very concerned with my health, very concerned with my emotional well-being. And I, I never thought that death or dying bothered me, but I think it was because there was so much silence wrapped up in what had happened to my dad. And, um, and then in 2000, he, um, he needed a heart transplant. And it was because the the heart was too weak from the radiation from the cancer to pump fluid. So he, um, he was eligible, and he did receive the heart transplant. And then he had that heart for um, 17 years, and he um, wow. right, just well past the, the average of 10 years. Right. So 17 years. Yeah. That is so long. Yeah. To be a cancer survivor. Yep. And a heart transplant recipient. Exactly. And so um, in 2016, he was diagnosed with a type of brain cancer called glioblastoma. It's the same cancer that John McCain died from. Um, and it's it's a cancer that um, if you can't do surgery on it, it is it is terminal. Um, and so my dad lived for 14 months with glioblastoma, and I was diagnosed in November of 2017. He died uh, three days after my diagnosis. So I think it was at that time of you know pre mourning with my dad for that year, knowing that he was going to pass, and then having my cancer diagnosis and really being faced with my own sense of mortality, looking at what's happening to my dad, looking at what I was faced with and that what I would need to do to summon the courage for my own treatment, um, that I started to really ask myself what I wanted my cancer to mean. I have a daughter. She was 11 at the time. She's 13 now. And I I knew how I felt when I was young and the silences and stigmas and the way that that affected me growing up with this chronic illness, with this like specter of, of dying, you know, around us without being able to talk about it. And um, so I knew that I wanted my cancer to, me going through cancer to mean something different than how it meant for me when I was a child with my dad. Um, so I, you know, I, <laughs> I'm a teacher and I was, uh, you know, 
pretty health oriented, emotional well-being oriented. So I had a lot of tools and I'm, I'm an artist. I do a lot of art making for myself. And so I had a lot of tools and um, I, I wrote a book called The Little Green Monster Cancer Magic. Um, it was, you know, thinking about resources that families needed. So they felt comfortable with ha- talking about cancer, but in a way that really helped give them some tools to process their day and also make new memories and enjoy and have joyful times, which um, the monster is not cancer in the book. The monster is the little imaginary friend that the girl creates and um, in, accompanies her through her day. So um, I, I knew that I wanted to give back to families and to help them experience cancer in a way that could be as positive as it could be, that could could allow them to hold space for one another, to have all of their feelings together, to be able to have a more open communication about what was happening and to use creativity um, and, and art activities to, um, to make new memories, enjoy themselves, and also um, use that art to talk about. So after um, creating the book, I decided to um, raise money, uh, a crowdfunding campaign, raise money to have it illustrated and published, to donate to families and do book readings with creative arts workshops around the book. And so that's what started my pursuit of this of this nonprofit was just through this one book with this one creative arts workshop that I would take around Orange County. It was pre-COVID in 2018, 2019 that I did this um, and worked with, you know, hundreds of families and donated the book to thousands of families um, and created a website with resources for families called littlegreenmonster.org. So on one of my workshops at the Cancer Support Community in Redondo Beach, we, uh, I was working with kids whose parents have cancer and they were making monsters out of clay. And this boy created this um, very like graphic, raw, clay form and the the face was like kind of carved with and very like ragged kind of edges and I asked him about it and he said well my monster has had many gashes and rashes and is quite torn up and it took a lot for him to get here but he's still here and for me that's an example of how the art becomes a metaphor for the journey that the child is going through or that the the parent is going through. And we can see those metaphors in a lot of creations that kids do um, or stories that they tell. You think they're about one thing. There's a whole layer underneath that they're processing as they're using the art or the creativity. Um, So that monster and those I love that you're I love how you're describing this because I wanted to talk about how they're could be a correlation between the art and just the feelings and emotion and what you're going through and how you get through it. And that is such a perfect story about what the the young boy was feeling. Right. And he was able to build that in this or to illustrate that through this monster and to get out what he me, what he was feeling and so exactly. I think that that is in, that is so incredible and such a important way for I mean the arts is just so important anyway but 
but just another another way to use the arts to help in healing. Exactly. Another example I have is that um, one of the the uh, tools that we created was a little green monster stuffy. I was working with uh, Kids Connected, which provided cancer support uh, support groups for kids whose parents have cancer. And the director said, oh, we really need a stuffy of the monster. And I said, okay, well, I started really thinking about it. And I wanted, because I'm a teacher, I wanted the kids to be involved in that stuffy in some way. So I took my inspiration from, you know, the Build-A-Bear style. And I worked with some volunteers. um, And we created monsters that were unfinished. And so the, the monsters were sent with the book in a little care duffel. Um, to kids and I brought them to my workshops with me and we would uh, create our monsters that way. And what you do when, you know, you stuff them just like they do, you know, in the kind of commercial sense, they stuff the, the little stuffy monster. And then there's also a heart and they can hold the heart and make a wish on the heart or a good feeling on the heart. And then you put the heart in and then there's also a piece of paper and on the paper, they can write the name of someone they want to give love to when they hold their monster. Or you can write a note of what you want the the monster to hold when, when you put it inside and then they sew it up. So we had done this in a workshop that was a, a support group for kids of parents with cancer. And, um, and we were at the hospital and so the the parent is getting their support group, their cancer support group, and the kids came to us. And uh, she made her, this little girl who was about seven, made her monster. And then she walked around to everybody in the room after it had been, she sewed it up. She put her mom's name on it, who is the, the one who had cancer. She put her mom's name on it. She put her brother's name on the other side. And she put put the paper in the monster and she sewed it up. And then she walked around to everybody in the room and said, can you hug my monster? I want to fill it with 10,000 hugs to give to my mommy when I see her when she's done with her group. And so we and she said it every time. Can you fill, give my monster hugs because it's storing 10,000 hugs for my mommy? And so we all did that and hugged it and, and said, what's your mom's name? And how do you not just start crying when you are experiencing this? It's just yeah. so moving. It it is, and it's it to me. It gave my cancer a meaning beyond. I need to live for me. I need to live for my daughter. But I also want to live for all of the families who are going through this and just need one wonderful scoop of joy in their life for that moment, that's what it all means. And um, it, it gave me a purpose that I had been looking for because I, I've been a teacher in schools and a teacher educator in schools. And I was always much more interested in the social-emotional well-being of children. So you found your purpose. Yes. In doing these workshops, I just really had found a purpose for my own skills that you know started out in the classroom but I was always much more interested in children's well-being and families' well-being than I really was about teaching academic subjects or looking at academic growth. And both of those things are very important. And I'm 100% thankful for teachers and the work that they do um, to be with children every day and to teach them. It, it just didn't have 
the fulfillment factor for me, um, I think because I had been so deep inside concerned with well-being since I was a young child going through that trauma with my dad, that um, I was looking to a, a career that would provide that reward. And once the cancer happened to me, um, I, I really saw the connection between my childhood, what I was pursuing in my career, and then what I could do with my skills. And so for me, the tears have always been of joy that I could be with kids in this moment that of, of real difficulty and provide a space that, that felt safe, where they had a sense of belonging, where they, they um, feel understood and where there's unconditional regard for whatever feeling that they have, that the artwork provides, like you said, a metaphor for, for those feelings. Well, so Sharon, I want to just comment on a couple of things. And then I want to go back um, a little ways and, and ask you a couple of questions. But some people go their entire life or work their entire life trying to figure out what their purpose is. And you found it. And so like, how, what is that? Just, what's that feeling like? that you wake up every day knowing what you were meant to do and that you are making such an impact on others. I mean, to, to be able to work with the children and work with the families and be able to get them into a different state of mind about their, about their illness, what you're doing is unbelievable. I didn't mean to make you cry. <laughs> it's okay. Well, I know I, um, so I, um, um, I, I have lived with panic, anxiety, and depression since I was very young. Um, the first, the first memories I have of it are about being about eight when so post, post my dad's cancer and just feeling like a sense of dread on the weekends, just like this undescribable feeling of just ickiness or like a pall cast over me. And I didn't know what it was. I just thought it was just part of who I was. I didn't think to tell anybody about it because I didn't really know what I would say. Um, but by, by my um, college life, I, you know, the depression was pretty intense and um, by the time I was a teacher, I had anxiety every day. I was worried about um, my uh, about being judged, being evaluated as a teacher, being not feeling like I had uh, the the skills or the knowledge to do a good job. I I had come through my own schooling. Um, judging my self worth through my performance, that I it was very important to me to be a straight A student, to be um, as close to perfection as I could in my grades, um, in my the way I show up to school. It was something I had control over in a pretty chaotic, otherwise chaotic time in my childhood. So I had come to value myself in my performance, and. Um, I went on to teaching and I continued to have anxiety and performance anxiety in particular. So 
every day before teaching teachers, I was sick. I was nauseous. I felt this fear of being judged and of not being good enough. And when, um, when I was diagnosed with cancer, um, I just had this instinctual desire to save myself. I, I, I wanted to do everything I could to be healthy. I wanted to reframe. I mean, it was just this overwhelming instinctual desire to, to live. And I can't explain that part of it. But what I can say is that um, I came to look at myself in a different way. I came to say, wow, I must be worth saving if all these nurses and all these doctors and all these surgeons and all the pharmacy companies that made the medicine and myself got up every day, drove myself to chemotherapy. Um, you know, I took myself to the emergency room. So my husband, ex-husband could stay with my daughter when I had a fever and an infection in my pork. I did all those things for myself. And I spent so much of my life thinking I wasn't enough. And then when I had cancer, I realized, oh, I was very much enough. I was very capable and I could do so much for myself. And none of it had to do with anything anybody thought of me. And that was really, really powerful. That is so powerful that you realized that you had worth and you were valuable. And that's just, and you have to realize it. I mean, people have to, people can tell you. But until you right. know it, until you believe it, until you are living it, it's just right. it's it's just overwhelming. If 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 you were you know constantly in a state, I know. Right. Well, I, one of the things I love about you is just your transparency. Even like just starting your story about your dad and how you know your feelings and the people the the kids in the store and just. And how you just recognize that uh, you know the the feelings and that you're willing to share those, and I can imagine that now you're able to talk about that in your story as you're helping families and saying that you know it's you understand where they're coming from yeah. and that you know you're not cancer. You, you know, right. kids want to kids want to be appreciated and and not different and they want to be accepted and just part of just part of the group not the kid with cancer or you know the kid that's parent has cancer and yeah and at the same time it's true we want this sense of belonging but at the same time part of what gives us the strength to to know we're important is like digging into what's unique about you as a person. And um, my daughter, you know, um, this week, my daughter was was bitten by a dog, it just happened to be off leash and ran down the street and started, my daughter picked up our dog, and the dog started jumping up to try to get to our dog. And my daughter tried to get it away and got bitten on her on her elbow. And um, she's fine, it was bruised, it didn't break the skin. But what I told her was, you know, Look, look what you went through. That was a really scary thing. And it could have been far worse. But what happened was you protected your dog and you knew that 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 was the most important thing to do. And you were going to get in between that dog 
and our dog. So if you were a hero for our dog and you have that instinct inside of you and now you know that it's there. It wasn't tested before, you know, like we, we all have it, but it was tested in that moment or it was accessed, I should say. It was accessed and you had it and, and you dig, you dug in and you did what you needed to do. And now we're processing it and talking about it to understand its effect. But at the time, it just was in you. And I think that that's a really powerful thing for kids to see that they, and, and for parents too, who are going through traumas to see, I have a really powerful fire in me and I can handle it. Um, when, when I um, started doing this work with families, my stomach stopped hurting. I was, I had anxiety every day of teaching for the last 20 years. And I, the work I do now it doesn't hurt because I have the sense of understanding that I, I'm okay. I feel good about it. I feel good about what I can offer. And I know like in that sense of like my daughter could pick up the dog and got that was had knew she had that inside her. I had accessed that through cancer and I have this capacity to connect with people because of what happened to me and um, my openness about emotional well-being and and issues that happen in life. So that's that's why um I don't know that's how I can try to understand my purpose is not like it came from without but rather I just thought what do I want this really difficult thing this traumatic thing in my life that's happened what do I want it to mean? And just I keep coming back to that. And and it doesn't have to mean anything more than for you, it doesn't, I'm not saying there's some kind of hierarchy, like that I, you know, I wanted to be some hero. It wasn't it. I just, it was the way I could make sense of it was through the way that I related to others because of going through it myself. Well, I think that you are so selfless and the work that you're doing is not about you. It's all about others. I mean, it that really shines through in what I'm hearing you say. And, and sure, it gives you the purpose and your heart feels good and your stomach doesn't hurt anymore. And you're doing something that makes you feel great. But it's you're making it all about other people. And, and I love that. I love that about you. Thank you, Polly. Well, I could say that I say the same thing about you and the work you're doing with this podcast. It's all about <laughs> you sharing, sharing the stories of others and, and the way that they've made sense of their lives. And that's a really powerful thing. Thank you. Well, what do you, what reactions do you get from families or from, and you've talked a little bit about the kids, but how are you helping them from their standpoint? Well, I th the the biggest feedback that I get, or the most common, I should say, or most, um, the, the theme that gets echoed from parents is, I feel more comfortable now talking with, with my kids about my cancer. Um, or I feel more comfortable talking to my kiddos' sibling uh, about their, their siblings' cancer. So um, using the book is, is a really powerful tool because it's not about me and my cancer or my child's cancer. It's about this story and these characters. And then we can start to talk about what you see in the pictures. And we have 
um, some pictures that have the medical rooms with an IV or the radiation machine. But those are interspersed with all the other things that they do in their lives that the little green monster goes through with them. Um, and we've since done other resources. Um, we've written, a, I've written a play that became a podcast this summer called Ash and Feather, A Bird Girl and Her Father's Cancer. Um, and I will link to that in the show notes. Thank you. Yeah, tell us about that because I wanted to. I, I know that you've you're doing work around just the importance of diversity and yes, how you know everyone's representative and every you know everyone is is important. So talk about that. Well, one of the the metaphors that we use with teaching and um, helping teachers kind of analyze their the representations in their classroom libraries is this. Um, I don't remember the scholar's name, but um, they use the idea of windows and mirrors. So uh, um, kids and everyone, actually, we need to have windows into other people's lives in order to connect with them. We also need mirrors and mirrors are really important because they help us see ourselves. So in order to have uh, a positive sense of self-identity and belonging, we need both windows and mirrors in the representations in um, the libraries you know, in our cities, the libraries in our schools, um, and also in popular culture and media. Um, so one of the things that we do at Wellbeing Studio is to create um, stories about families and, and really ensure there's a, a diversity of representation of families and communities within our stories and then also within the context that we provide around the stories. So in the case of Ash and Feather, it is a story about a teenage girl named Phoenix and her two dads. They are um, African-American. And so we talk about, and this story, we start developing the podcast right around the racial reckoning that happened after George Floyd. So um, we created a panel with discussion about African-American Black families and communities' emotional well-being during COVID and also during um, the racial um, reckonings that, that are happening right now. And we also created um, a cast that represented um, the diversity of the, the folks in the community of the story. So that was really important. Um, and, and that has to do with the being able to see your cast and know who, who is um, enacting the story. And um, we intend to illustrate it. So we're going to also think about, we think about that in terms of, of the artists that we work with as well, and also the educators that we work with. It's really important for us to um, up, uplift and amplify diverse voices um, in every sense. Everyone is affected by cancer, as everyone has been affected by COVID. And we also know with minority health disparities um, that um, Black and Brown people and communities are disproportionately affected by COVID and um, disproportionately affected by cancer. Um, so that it's really important for us as an organization to to be within that conversation and engage and advocate. So um, I'm really excited about Ash and Feather because it's our first teen story. 
And we actually have just started, it's this week, we're just started a residency with a high school in Santa Ana. They'll be using the podcast and we're doing a, um, a dance residency for six weeks where we explore students' voices using dance and using different texts that have to do with, um, with uh, various stories of, of um, teenagers and um, adults that have grown up with with issues that have affected them, whether it's poverty or racism. Um, and so we're, we're very excited to be um, extending the impact of Ash and Feather to the schools. And so that's kind of where, where we're sitting right now with Wellbeing Studio is developing resources, continuing workshops, and then also expanding our relationships with our partners um, in order to um, continue to get our stories because we want to, we want to break stigmas and silences with families who are going through cancer, but also we want to think about the broader community because I might have a friend whose family has cancer, and if schools and um, other places have exposure to stories about families with cancer, we'll feel more comfortable talking about that in community circles, for example, um, in classroom community circles and schools. Um, and, and instead of kind of shying away and fearing that, no, we rather, I realize there's privacy issues. So you want to make sure families feel comfortable. Right, right. But if, if a family's fine with that, with talking about um, the health situation, then it really helps other kids to understand. So having representations of, of families with cancer in our literature is, is really important. So um, we're focusing on that and expanding the resources um, in that way as well. That's all so great. And I love the impact. And I was going to ask you, you know, as a cancer survivor, having, having gone through cancer, you know, for someone or for, for anyone, you know, if you're support, you know, if you have a, a friend or, you know, someone at church or yeah. you, someone at school or a neighbor or something, you know, sometimes people are like, oh, I don't know what to say. Or, right. you know, they probably don't want visitors or... Right. Yeah, what is what are a couple of little things that we can do that have well I, I really appreciate the question because um, I think a trend if you were to ask cancer survivors a trend in our experiences will be that it can be a very isolating experience um, for one you typically can't work although I know some people work through it but you typically can't work so you're often uh, you know at the house or trying to get a walk in here and there but with treatment it's pretty intense um, if you are at work you're trying probably not talking about it but it, it can be a very isolating experience so um, everybody has uh, takes it differently but I think a couple of things that ran through my head the first one was I, I told my friends, please don't give up on me or please don't forget about me. So instead of thinking, oh, she must not be feeling well, so we won't invite her to a hike. I said, please ask me. And probably 75% of the time I'll say I can't, but that one 25% of the time, if you ask me four times, one of those times I'm going to say, oh my gosh, I feel pretty good today. Yes. Thank you so much. Um, I, I did lose a lot of friends during cancer, um, not on purpose, I think, just because um, people get busy and it's hard. Um, so I think check-ins are really great. Um, maybe um, 
don't assume that somebody's going to ask for help or ask to be to be heard or for connection. Um, reach out, send a text, just say I'm thinking about you. I had somebody who I didn't, who I haven't seen for ten years, um, put me on his alarm on his phone once a month, so that when I was getting that first set of chemos that only happened once a month, and then he changed it to once a week and. That morning, every Monday, he sent me a text saying, thinking about you, you've got this. And it wasn't, it, I didn't ask him to do it. He just said, when do you get your treatments? And I told him it was on Mondays. And he sent me every single Monday, he sent me a note. And it, just knowing that he thought about, like, that I was on his mind when I was going through something that hard made such a difference. And it was such a little thing. And it made such a big difference in my day. Um, Another thing is that if people can't, if you have someone that's, that can coordinate a meal train during those first, like the after surgery and during chemo, um, meals are really hard. Of course, we all know if you've had a surgery, surgeries can be very hard. Recovery takes time. Meal trains are great because it spreads the love around. You can sign up. If you have 10 friends, you've got 10 weeks, you know, or you've got um, two weeks, five days a week. Um, you, you can always freeze it. <laughs> right. So the meal train was really helpful. Um, sometimes I would just get like my daughter's friend would draw a picture and just leave it on the porch, you know, and that was great. Or like a chalk note just in front of my, you know, on the driveway, um, little things like that. I, and then if, if you are close to someone, you can ask, Hey, how, you know, can you just tell me how you, how you want to talk about it? Like if, I'll, I'll check in with you. You don't have to tell me you want to, but just how, how do you want to, um, how should I be, you know, tell me what you need and I'll, I will do that thing. Um, instead of, that's a great recommendation. Yeah. Because sometimes people will say, um, let me know what you need. And you're like, oh my gosh, seriously, how am I going to text? I can barely get my own needs taken care of right now to think, to text you about what I need. Oh, that's not going to work. But if somebody says, um, I'm going to the grocery store, what do you need? And then I can say, well, you know, we don't have any um, lettuce. Can you get me some lettuce? That's fantastic. Or they, if they say, you know, hey, I'm, I'm going to take my kids to the park or maybe not the park COVID, but right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a Zoom game. Um, can, can I send your, your kid the Zoom link so that they can have something fun to do and you don't have to think about it. So just even just offering like whatever you're doing, can I involve you in some way makes such a big difference because then you're not thinking, Oh, I have to be the one to ask. Cause that's just because you don't want to be the one to ask and you have no energy. I mean, it's just everything you're, you're putting to is going on inside your body to heal. And so it may look like you're pretty fine, but there's, so much happening in your body to heal that, um, yeah, that's, those are some things I would say. Uh, those are such great and and they don't even take a lot of effort. Like, yeah. Setting an alarm to text message, um, doing a meal train. There's also something called caring bridge. A lot of people, if they have like a long term treatment, caring bridge is great. And you can ask for help with, within one. You can also tell people your update. So you don't have to update each person right? So that helps. So texting, caring bridge, um, the meal train, and then also just offering things like, 
Um, hey, can I get you something from the grocery store? Hey, can I ha- take your kiddo for a little while? Um, I, I just made a fresh bread. Can I bring it over? Those things are great. And then the last one is just, how can I talk to you? What, what, what are the ways you want to talk about your cancer? And asking um, is such a great, um, such a great thought and such a great recommendation. Oh, and I had one more. And I think this one is at the core, everything. I just made that really big sounding, but I think it is at the core of everything, which is however you are in this moment is fine. I'm going to meet you where you are. You don't have to do it. You don't have to put makeup on. You don't have to come to the door. You don't have to return my call. You don't have to return the comment I put on Facebook. However you are is okay. And I'm here. And I think that that, message really just lifts everything off the shoulder of the person going through this difficult disease because you're going through a year of hell or more, right? Or you're going through, it's, it wasn't hell. I don't mean that. You're going through a difficult time. And um, so to have just unconditional regard given to you means everything else can take its course to get you through this time. And sometimes you don't get through. So to have unconditional regard in that in each moment that you have of this precious life for however long you have it is a gift. It is. Well, you talked about some of the things that um, were on the horizon for Wellbeing Studios and some of the projects that you have. Is there anything else that um, you have a vision for longer term? Well, I, um, I find it very hard to talk about like feel like I'm self-promoting, but oh, I'm so excited. I am promoting. <laughs> I am promoting you, please. <laughs> please allow me to do my podcast job well. Thank you, Miss Holly. Well, you you're doing a great job. So um I'm I'm very excited about um our main project in the cook in the hopper, which is that we are creating a um an interactive creativity app for families. Um, impacted by cancer. And it'll be um, on tablet for kids. And then we'll have a parent app. And it has um, a set number of participants within the family circle. And it is focused on using creativity for emotional well-being. So we have a series of, of activities that are kind of inspired by the live workshops. And this is a great time in the middle of COVID and um and this shift to utilizing technology, I'm not a proponent of kids being glued to the screen. So something that was very important to me was to create activities that then could be utilized off screen. So we have drumming and painting and visualizations and meditations. Um, We have a kindness jar. We have silly story making, letter writing, and all of the things that the kids create. We sing with me, dance with me. All the things the kids create can then be sent to anyone in their family circle. So there's a little social feed that's attached to it. You can comment on each other's art activities that you've made. You can send notes to one another. And I was thinking, wow, if I'd had that when I was in the chair, like my, if my daughter had sent me a picture, not, it's not just over text, but to really think about that she had created something that really taps into her emotions 
and then be able to share that with me would, would have been very powerful. So um, we are working on a soft launch to share with families in September with the full launch in December. And um, it will be a free app with some kind of premium features to kind of add on, but everybody has this base app, uh, app that they can access and use with their families. Um, one of the really exciting pieces of it for me is that uh, they'll have access to the little green monster cancer magic story within there, but within the book, the book component, there will be a space where you can write cancer journey stories as a family. And then there will also be a world of stories database where you can read other kids' stories. And so we already have um, three stories that we'll put in there, but then they'll get submitted after kids write their own stories, they'll get submitted and we'll curate them and have them accessible through the app for all, all families to read. In relation, we're creating a digital community so that um, you'll have space to discuss issues related to cancer or other issues related to parenting and well-being, creativity, um, that will also have um, individual blogging spaces and um, cancer, a cancer milestone scrapbook um, tool. And so we're really excited about that. And they'll also have all of our, our creative arts workshops we can sign up for on that digital community. So that those two pieces are working side by side. And um, we're, we're really proud to be a place that focuses on um, however you call your family, love is love. And um, so families are, are the, the whole story. And, and that's what we're doing with this technology. And we're really excited. Um, I just got off the phone with um, a potential university partner to provide um, live workshops. So we're building up our, our workshop uh, profile so that we're really focused on offering weekly um, services for families as well um, in person over Zoom. That just all sounds so <laughs> magnificent. And like the things that you're talking about are not easy to get off the ground. And so, and there's so many layers to what you've just talked yeah. about. There's <laughs> there's the activities and then the sharing and the blogging and the stories and the scrapbooking and, and all of that. I mean, there's so many layers of rich stuff uh, to help um, people get through this journey or support someone else that's that's on this journey. And so um, I just cannot wait to uh, follow you to, you. to uh, learn more about it. And I'll be so happy to uh, promote it any way that I, I can. Thank you. Holly. Well, if people want to learn more about Wellbeing Studios and the projects that you have going on, if they want to contribute financially or volunteer in some way, talk about what you need and talk about how someone would help su um, support the work that you're doing. So we, um, we, you can go to our website, which is www.wellbeings.studio. And um, you'll find lots of resources there. We're in the process of kind of reorganizing everything because 
Um, we also have our Little Green Monster website. I started that first. So um, we're consolidating things. But at, for now, um, if you want resources for your family, um, you go under the resources tab and you can get to Little Green Monster. And that takes you to all of the family resources. Um, if you like to sew, we're always looking for volunteers to hand sew our Little Green Monster friends. Um, and I'm so thankful for the folks at the Social Justice Sewing Academy, where a lot of the quilters who work with the the teenagers in that organization volunteered to make monsters for us. And we've also had the Kiwanis Club. Um, we've had corporations sew for us too, like Old Navy. Um, so it's it's been really exciting to connect um, with like the Girl Scouts or other organizations who are looking to do something good. And here we are, we're, you know, a lot of us are, are here at home, so it's great. And we can send you materials and the pattern to sew. And um, you can write a note to the kiddo who'll be receiving your monster. So that's the main volunteering we have right now. Although we are looking to expand our volunteers, especially once we're able to do like service days, um, we'll be doing that. And then um, when we are uh, do a fundraiser at the beginning of, of next year, um, we'll be looking for volunteers who are interested in fundraising too. Um, we have a donate button on our a donate spot on our website, and um, we always greatly appreciate donations. They help us with our programs, with donating the books, um, and then providing everything for free for families. So that's really important because we, we want families to be able to participate regardless of ability to pay. So um, thank you for your support of me and Wellbeing Studio and all the families who are going through hard times right now. Um, I really appreciate you, Polly. I knew when we connected a few days ago that you were incredible. And after hearing more of your story today and you just sharing your heart and just how courageous you've been and just everything that you've been through and how you are um, shining a light for other people and helping other people to get through whatever their situation is and make it um, make it better and make their lives better. You're everything that uh, Stories Connect People oh. podcast stands for. Um, people that are inspiring and uplifting and um, it's it's really right. incredible to, to hear your story and your journey. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. I like to say that we're all ordinary people trying to do extraordinary things <laughs> in whatever way we can and whatever makes sense in our lives. And so, well, you're extraordinary. There is no doubt about it. <laughs> thank you. I, I really appreciate your ear. I appreciate the space. And um, I, I would love to connect with your listeners and, um, and can't wait to, to tune in to all of the stories that you <laughs> offer us. Thank you. Thank you, Sharon, for your time today and being a guest on Stories Connect People podcast. Thank you for listening to Stories Connect People podcast. If you enjoyed this, please subscribe, listen, rate, or share with others. I look forward to being with you next time on Stories Connect People podcast.